Now playing California Triathlon Soup. Welcome to the uh, second episode of California Triathlon Soup. Uh, this week's guests are let three-time off-road triathlon world champion Leslie Patterson and Dr. Simon Marshall, who is her lovely, lovely husband. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Simon is uh, Simon and, and Leslie are both uh, pretty cheeky as as you guys are going to find out. And luckily, Eric, who is doing production for this uh, piece, will have the bleep button on on high alert. I, I can tell you. Excellent. I'm just fucking pissed off. Hey, hey stop it already. Look, she started. I warned her. Like, you have to be at least three minutes in before you let them loose. And she's already started. I'll keep her, I'll keep tabs on at this end, Tom. Don't worry. Absolutely. Well, um, Leslie, so uh, this last year I was I was very fortunate to uh, take uh, the family to Scotland. Uh, we were at Leeds for uh, ITU Leeds and we were up in Scotland and we happened to go to uh, Edinburgh and we were in Glasgow. And in the middle, we stopped by and saw saw your mom and got to see where she lives and the town that you grew up in. Um, you should yeah. talk a little bit about that and how that sort of impacted you as you were on your on your path. First off, I'm going to have to teach you how to say the word, you know, the, the city Edinburgh. It's Edinburgh. Come on, Tom. Ed, Ed, Edinburgh. Ed, Edinburgh. Is that, did exactly. I get <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, you know, growing up in Scotland was, um, I mean, it was amazing. You know, I had a great childhood in so much as, you know, really supportive parents of anything that I wanted to do. But I think more importantly, the, the mindset in Scotland is very much just get out and do it. You're not supposed to moan about anything. You just crack on. Um, so that's, um, you know, and, and definitely that sort of underdog mentality, um, <clears throat> which has kind of put me in a good place, right? I, I, I'm never scared to fight back. I'm always giving something a go. And I grew up in a kind of hardy, uh, uh, dealing with adversity type environment. So that uh, uh, created in, in me, you know, uh, immense drive and ability to just keep going, you know, no matter what. So, um, yeah, when I, I, I moved to the States, it was uh, in 2002. It was pretty intriguing to me to see certainly the way that Californians uh, go about their business. Um, and uh, I, I'd say now I've got a nice amalgamation between the overt confidence that Californians have and a little bit of humbleness from my Scottish heritage. Well, well, your mom Fiona, she lives um, in the in uh, at the very bottom of, uh, or or you can see Stirling Castle in the town of Stirling, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Right. Total phenomenal. And, you know, I grew up running in the hills all, all around that area. And it's so stunning and so poetic that you can't help but feel so, there's a loftiness to the sea, to the scenery there. And, you know, a, a huge part of why I, I did what I did was just to be out there and enjoying that because I felt like I was really special and different from for, for getting to enjoy that scenery um, you know, opposed to just kind of sitting in front of the telly or, or not getting outside, you know? 
But, you know, she's married to an Englishman, right? So when we go round, I mean, Stirling is a very historic city for lots of reasons, not of which are very pleasant if you're English. And she, she has great delight in pointing out, yeah, this is where we kicked your ass that time. This is where we kicked your ass that time. This is where <laughs> so on and on it goes. Exactly. Well, considering that um, when we were there in June, it wasn't getting uh, dark until 10 or 1030 at night, which would be amazing if you ended work at five and you needed to get a brick in. My goodness. Right. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure um, she could probably s- still kick your arse um, <laughs> around Sterling, don't you think? Oh, that, that was, was that's in no doubt. Yeah, she's always been able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so that was wonderful. So this year, 2018, um, you, I've seen, I've seen a lot of, uh, training, uh, stuff going on with, uh, Braveheart with the boot camp. Um, I saw some new kits coming out. Um, you obviously last year you had the book, which was a huge success. Um, and the cover was, was amazing and, um, and had to be defended a little bit. You should talk about that. And then, uh, so what, what's it look like for 2018 and some of those things? Well, you know, we've got a few camps on as well. We've just finished one for our, every year we have, uh, something called the Braveheart Highland Games and we have athletes, Braveheart athletes, people we coach is also people we don't coach come to San Diego the end of January each year. Uh, do a lot of great training, a lot of bonding, a lot of little fun, ye olde Scottish activities, um, tug of war and sandbag carries. And we kind of have a really bonding moment. It's a really nice kickoff uh, to the to the season uh, for most of us. And then we, we, we're we running a camp and we started it last year in Cozumel in Mexico in August. And and most people are like, oh, my God, are you, are you mad going to Cozumel in August and trying to do some Ironman and half Ironman training? But it's a really great opportunity for athletes who are training and for races in the heat and humidity. And they, they really rock up to these races the week before and just really ill prepared to cope with what hits them. And so we've partnered up with Mauricio Mendez, uh, the Xterra, former Xterra world champion and 70.3 pro who we've coached since he was a junior and him and his dad um, and the four of us, we run this camp in, in Cozumel and it's mainly uh, Latin American athletes, a lot of Mexicans, uh, Peruvians, Chileans, Argentina. It's fantastic and we love it. And so that's another camp that we've got coming on. Um, and if folks are interested in joining us and it's really affordable and the quality of the food and the drink is great. And so we, we like going down there. And I think more importantly, like one of the big things we try and do in our camps is to have a lot of fun. So, and I don't mean that you're not going to get, you know, your ass kicked and you're not going to have hard training. You are, but a huge part of our our ethos at, at Braveheart in general is about creating community. And I think that's why, you know, we really got on Tom, uh, uh, you know, you and I, because we're after the same thing when it, when it comes to triathlon, right? It's about building a community, a supportive place where people can fail and still get picked up and where they can really push boundaries and, and break you know have breakthroughs and I grew up with that community in Scotland and so we've t- tried to create that uh, within our Braveheart team and then also in any camp that you come to so you're going to have the, the the hardest training you've ever had but you're going to have the most laughs and the most fun you've ever had uh, so that's always our goal in a camp so when so is the TSS scores <laughs> when is uh, when is the date of the, the this year's uh, camp uh, the 16th to the 20th of August. Wow. Okay. You need to come, Tom. Come on. You I, know you want to. I absolutely want to. Um, that sounds fantastic. You know, well, a great so, thing about 
camp is that it's an all-inclusive, we're at an all-inclusive resort and the, and the price includes not all food, but in free alcohol for four days. And, and that's okay with the, uh, that's okay with the head coach that you can consume alcohol and come to this Absolutely. camp? Absolutely. That's, that's part of the adversity training. Listen, I'm the director of entertainment, so I ensure that people have their fair swill at night. Well, a few years ago, speaking of alcohol, a few years ago, uh, Leslie, I think I was seated at your table next to your mom and you won some sort of uh, very nice award. And I do believe that the other tables were sort of jealous that that you brought um, you brought some outside beverage to that table. If I do remember what what was that beverage? What was it? Was it was I think I brought some whiskey for the table. Maybe no, I, <laughs> I think it was a large bottle of Scotch whiskey. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. I just don't call it Scotch, otherwise you'll get banjoed. <laughs> banjoed means hit by somebody in Scottish. Oh, okay. We'll make sure we uh, we we'll start up like maybe a little translation uh, area on the uh, on the on the uh, website. So last year you did you did the book, and we love the book. Um, we. We bought, we, we, you know, our team enjoyed that. We love the book. You, you went all over promoting it. Tell us about the book. Um, tell us about how it started. Um, I was really surprised. I mean, I, I knew that Simon uh, has a PhD, uh, but, but he's a good writer too. I know. Who'd have thought it, right? What do you mean, but? And he's a good writer too. Come on, Tom. <laughs> um, but it was great. And so, so you want to talk about, about the book and about the reception of it and sort of uh, maybe maybe some of the things that, that would jump out the most? Yeah, so basically, you know, the reason we came up with the book was because I had kind of gone through this whole uh, rebirth in the sport. Um, I had been really serious as a, 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 as a youngster and uh, was on the national team and all the rest of it, had high hopes of going to the Olympics, but it never transpired. I wasn't a good enough swimmer. I was in the ITU racing circuit and it just wasn't working out. And I got very, very disillusioned because a lot of the coaches I was working with just didn't know how to talk to me as a, you know, as a person, as a young girl, a young 16-year-old girl. Um, and so I lost all my passion for the sport. And, you know, everything was based around data and not about sort of the emotion or passion around it. And so I, I ended up giving up and retiring at the age of 20 uh, and then getting into acting and, um, you know, theatre and a lot of stuff that was about self-discovery for, my, for, for me. You know, who am I as a person? What do I want? Where am I going? And I came to realise that I could actually go on a triathlon journey about, you know, that, 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 that focused on what I needed rather than, hey, this world champion over here, you have to act like them and be like them in order to be a world champion like them, uh, which which I didn't want to be. I wanted to do it my way. So um, when I did come back to the sport the second time and got into Xterra, which in and of itself kind of caters to all my passions of mud and grittiness and being out, in, you know, in, in the environment, um, you know, I would come home every day from training and I'd be trying out all these different things that I'd, I'd sort of was thinking about and I'd learn through acting and, and whatnot and I'd speak to Sai about it and I'd, and, uh, and I'd be like, babe, I'm trying this, I've been trying that. And, uh, you know, hey, what do you uh, what do you think? And he would get into the neuroscience of it all and say, well, actually, that's super interesting because the reason you do that is because of this, this and this. And, uh, and so together we just kind of, 
started to form all of these ideas and theories and you know both him with his experience as a sports psychologist and me as the athlete um, and we, we, we obviously had a coaching business and, and still do where we've coached you know hundreds of different athletes and a lot of them have experienced all the same issues and so we, we felt like it was about time that, that somebody should write something that was actually applicable and usable that had strategies uh, and was realistic and witty and funny and approachable, uh, you know. So, yeah, that, that, that's how we, we came about it. And to be honest, it, we've just had this great response from people, and not just about their sport, but just how it's impacted their everyday life, their relationships, their business, you know, everything. And in, in terms of um, – we, we, we have a few of those books, but um, where could somebody get that book if they wanted to buy it? Yeah, so it's called The Brave Athlete, Calm the F Down and Rise to the Occasion. And uh, you can get it at Amazon. Um, and you can also, uh, we've got an audible version on Amazon as well. So you can uh, listen to it. And we actually, yeah, we recorded it. So you'll hear our wonderful voices. So, you know, it's funny, you you have a background. Um, I was surprised by, on social media, um, the cover, um, you know, Calm the F Down and um, being a being a rugby player for 22 years and maybe some of the folks, at least the four or five people that are listening to this, keep in mind, Leslie, we've never broken 10 people who listen to, to uh, this podcast. So it's a very small audience. You can say what you want to say. Um, but you, you played you played rugby. I did. I did from the age of seven to 12 in an all boys team. So, uh, yeah, I, I, needless to say, I like a wee bit of a challenge. Um, and, and and I've come to realize sort of why that is in, in many ways. You know, I like to, you know, I like adversity because I think I realize that there's so much growth that comes through facing fears. And, you know, I, I remember going to watch my brother and wanting to, to play this game. And my dad was like, well, it's all boys. And I said, great, you know, well, I don't care. You know, I'll stand out, you know, great. I'll be special. I'll get to you know, sort of really rise above the rest and give it a go. So that's how I came to it. Now, in rugby circles, um, shockingly, I was a, a forward and uh, forwards were considered considered piano movers and backs are considered piano players. Were you a uh, were you a forward or a back when you were a wee a wee thing? I was I was definitely a back man. I had the I had the the, the twinkle toes and the. Yeah, and uh, the the ability to kind of move around pretty quick. In fact, I was scrum half um, quite quite a bit, just because I was a wee bit smaller. But we've all seen pictures of you, Tom, in your rugby days, and uh, yeah, you look a wee bit different. Yeah, well, the scrum the scrum half has to be uh, kind of mean. Has to uh, has to dig in, get that ball out of the back of the pile, and distribute right. it. Uh, were, were you mean at, 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 at age eight? Fuck yeah. I mean, anyone that's seen me out in uh, Xterra course knows that I I get my mean on when I'm racing. It's a it's a pleasure to watch. Um, so so speaking of you racing, so um, you are the three time off off road triathlon world champion. Um, right. two, two Xterra races, one ITU, correct? Yeah, correct, correct. It's uh, yeah, been hell of a hell of a ride and. I think I've had something like uh, five seconds, five silver medals at Worlds as well. So it's uh, yeah, I've, I've been around the top of the sport for a number of years now. And uh, yeah, you know, the first time you achieve something like that is just a dream come true. I mean, 
you know, I, I had wanted to be at that level as an athlete from the age of about four. So, you know, and, and, and when you're never quite making it, uh, you, you get kind of down on yourself, you know, and you wonder what it is that you're doing wrong. And then all of a sudden you're released from that and, and you realize that actually, you know, if you kind of keep pushing through and keep keep working at it, you can you can get to the other side, you know. And so it was it, it really has served to be an amazing thing for me in my life. So, and, and in terms of, I remember seeing a picture of you winning that, you know, on the podium with a big check, the check was big. Um, I don't remember which one, but, but I was surprised to see that the amount was, was a scant $20,000. Um, tell us a little bit about how easy or hard it is to be a working professional in triathlon. It is so hard, and especially in minority triathlon like Xterra, eh, that doesn't have as much coverage. You have to be very clever with how you go about eh, both um, promoting yourself and building your brand because you have to create other revenue streams. Otherwise, there's just no way you could afford to live. Um, because, I mean, that as a world champion, you're earning 20 grand, which, you know, of course, that's then taxed. Eh, and how much did it cost you to get there and actually be at the race was probably about two. Um, you know, and uh, so that's why I started a coaching business uh, back in 2000 and whatever, whatever it was. I can't remember, 2005 maybe. And, um, you know, because ultimately I was kind of working in bike shops and earning minimum wage and trying to train full time at all hours of the, the, the morning and night. Um, and it just wasn't working out. And I realized that I had the skill of, of being able to coach people and so much knowledge from my years in sport that I started this up. And it's, it's, it's proven to be, you know, obviously essential to, to my longevity in the sport because I've been able to pick and choose which races I want to do. And, you know, I've been able to survive through illness and injury and all of that because I've got a coaching business you know, to support me. And then a lot of sponsors have stick, you know, stuck with me because of my reach through my coaching, not through my accolades as an athlete. So, you know, it's just, it's so difficult as a, an endurance athlete now, because, you know, you've only got so, you've only got so many years in the sport as well, you know, before your body breaks down. And, and what are you left with at the end of that? You know, your skill set is somewhat limited and, and, and where are you going to go? You know, you're just going to go into sales of one of the sponsors that used to rep you. It's like, oh, so, um, yeah, you have to get really clever with how you diversify. Uh, otherwise, you're going to end up sort of working at a bike shop when you're, you know, 50, sort of earning 10 bucks an hour, you know, which is kind of not really where I want it to be. Well, in terms of in terms of being a pro, um, we've I'm sure you've heard it before. We've we've heard it before. Maybe we've even thought it before. Uh, boy, wouldn't it be great to do this full time, be a professional uh, athlete, triathlete. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, I've always said, follow Leslie Patterson around for a week yeah. and, then let, and then let me know what you think. Um, I have woken up um, to, you know, Leslie's in Los Angeles, uh, had a house in LA and, and, and Leslie's in San Diego and, and you know, Leslie will get up at four thirty in the morning and seven thirty. you know, Hey, I've already, you know, eaten my, my breakfast and three hours on the bike. I'm going to be working all day. Um, it's, it's, it's quite the, quite the scene. Tell us what, what a typical week, um, when you're training, Tell us what a typical, and for a big race, tell us what a typical week is 
And maybe that'll convince some people to be pros or probably the opposite. Totally. So I think that, you know, it's all pretty individual, but I will say this, that most top athletes in our sport are training anywhere from 30 to 40 hours a week. It all depends on what phase you're in, what distance you're racing and what your body can handle. And certainly at the most, uh, when I was uber duper high volume, uh, uh, which again kind of got me to where I got, but also got me into trouble, um, was uh, 40 hours a week of training. So, and that's just off the actual training. So, a typical day would be, you know, six hours, uh, six hours of training of varying intensities. So, maybe 5K in the pool, uh, you know, 60, 70 miles on the bike with, you know, 7,000 feet of climbing and various intervals. Uh, and then running off the bike of, you know, maybe eight miles of hill repeats or, you know, tempo run or something like that. And then finishing up at, you know, three in the afternoon. And then, of course, having a focus on coaching, which is what would earn me my money. So maybe you're going out and you're doing a coaching session uh, and, you know, and then you've got your, your therapies that you have to do in order to actually sustain yourself through that. So maybe you've got, you know, a physiotherapy exercises, you've got massage, which by the way is not pleasant when you, when it, when it's getting done properly. Um, you know, if it's like, oh yeah, you're going for a massage. I'm all, no, that's really fucking painful. Um, so yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty intense. Right. And, 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 you know, and then, and then you wake up and you do it all again, day upon day and week upon week. And, you're rocking up to rides and runs and swims where people are doing it as a hobby and you're doing it as a job. So um, that can be challenging because their attitude towards it's different. And then they're generally more fresher than you are. So you're rocking up to things where you're just exhausted thinking, how am I going to get through this workout? You know, and everyone else is bantering and chatting and shouting and, and um, yeah, and then you have all your food to kind of deal with, you know, the right kinds of foods that you need to eat and prep and, uh, so, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, I love it. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't love it. Um, but it's it's an exhausting endeavor that takes every every tiny drop of, of, of motivation you could possibly muster up. And then it takes and then it impacts everybody else in your life as well. When you're a professional, it impacts your husband, your wife, your partners, your family, because, you know, hey, when you go on holiday, you're not really on holiday. You're having to find places to train or eat right, you know, or um yeah, or you're just always grumpy and tired all the time, which is not that pleasant for your partner. So poor, poor Simon Wimey here has had to, uh, had to, he's had, he's had the good times, but he's also seen the other side of it too. Simon, we, we're going to get into this a little bit later. There's going to be a whole section just, just for you to, to vent. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on triathlete widow syndrome. Um, this is actually a really good time. We have an athlete, um, Colette Wheeler, uh, who is uh, up in the LA area. And uh, she actually sent a note and said, I'd love to learn of their training for 70.3 and Olympic try strategies, how often strength training and how to work it into the week, into the week schedule. Um, do you do a low heart rate training at the beginning of each season and for how long before intense runs? Is their diet more paleontology for fat based training? A lot of questions here, so hold on. Or yeah. better with or better with carb loading. Would love recommendations for nutrition before, during, and after training and racing. Yeah, uh, she needs to hire us as a coach. What well, is she, she looking for? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I make that recommendation then and then do they prefer a particular nutrition uh, like infinite or hammer? And um, finally, which, which races are you are you going to do this year? So there's there's a lot to cover there, but um, you know maybe maybe talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, so, you know, I think everyone, first and foremost, certainly everyone that we coach is an individual, right? So they come to the table with uh, varying goals and also varying sort of training and injury histories. So depending on the volume that they've had in the past, that's going to impact how we're going to treat them for the future. So, But in general, uh, our philosophy is that strength is the cornerstone to speed. So a lot of the training that we do in those first few months in any kind of build is, is focused around strength. So on the bike, we do what's called torque training. And torque training is very, very low cadence work, almost like weight training on the bike. It's about maximum muscle recruitment of the muscle fiber beds. So we do seated drills and standing drills and a lot of things that, that are going to develop durability of the muscles. Because when you get to half iron, it's it's less about how quick you are and, and more about how little do I slow down in the second half of the race. So if you don't have the muscle strength to sustain throughout, that's where you're going to falter. Um, so uh, we do a lot of um, running off the bike where we're doing things like form hill repeats, so less intense, so lower heart rates, kind of more 80% effort rather than, you know, up at threshold, up at 90% effort. Um, we do a lot of hill repeats on the bike uh, and running off the bike. Um, a lot of things like plyometrics and hill bounds. And again, all about strength and muscle development. Uh, with good form. Uh, we have our athletes in the gym a couple times a week uh, doing heavy lifting with the prime muscle movers, the deadlifts, the squats, all that good stuff. But then also importantly, functional strength stuff. So a lot of boot camp type work, you know, multi-plane movement, TRX, all that cool stuff uh, for efficiency and injury prevention. Um, so with that strength platform uh, that, you know, we start off at lower heart rates, we build the intensity throughout that strength phase, and then we get more into a speed phase and a race specificity phase. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how we divvy it up. And then on a nutrition side of things, you know, that's such a complex, complex um area to attack because again everyone is so so different with what impacts them and um, we we are finding increasingly that a lot of athletes that come to us have gut issues or mental health issues that are chances are related to the gut or hormone issues that are related to the gut and Leslie, a huge piece of that Leslie this yeah. off season this off season after there were a lot of Christmas cookies I I think I have a gut oh, issue you have a gut issue yeah you you and about 90 percent of the population <laughs> but, uh, you know, what we're finding now is that, you know, endurance sport can really compromise the integrity of the gut. Uh, so when you're exercising at any kind of intensity, your gut lining becomes damaged. And as a consequence, it becomes more permeable. And then toxins get out and uh, of your gut and they're called endotoxins and they create this inflammation cycle in your body. And that can impact hormones and immune function and a whole host of things. So, um, that's where, you know, focusing on, you know, a healthy diet is important. And by healthy, I mean things that are not going to create inflammation. Um, so, you know, that's why a lot of athletes now are gluten-free because we know that gluten can create uh, issues in the gut that can create inflammation. Um, and then there's a lot of allergens. People are allergic to a lot of things or at least mildly sort of have reactions to whether it's dairy or, you know, the lactose or soy or things like that. So I think just ultimately cleaning your diet up um, is, is a really key one for any endurance athletes. Because you know what it's like, right? You grab that power bar, you grab that, you know, sugary kind of maltodextrin based drink and that's all you're ever eating. 
um, you get off the bike and you have a, a sandwich and some chips and a lot of processed foods, well, you're just creating more damage to an already damaged gut. So, you know, in, in, in my perspective, nutrition is is more about having good, healthy, whole foods. Now, whether you're more uh, into sort of ketosis or fat burning or fat metabolism, you know, one thing I will say is that we tend to, with our athletes, do periodization of diet. So uh, in your in, in your off season and more of the base phases where you're doing lower heart rates, we work on fat adaption and metabolism. So, um, you know, using fats more while you're training or, uh, you know, having um, a, a, a rides or runs where you're not eating beforehand and so on, um, just to, to have your, your body more adapted. And then we start to add in carbohydrates at different times. So it's kind of it's kind of a complex one, I'm afraid, and I've prattled on long enough. No, it's good. Um, so we, I know you're gluten-free and you have been for how long? I was diagnosed with Lyme's disease in 2011. And so I went gluten-free from that point on because gluten is known to sort of impact Lyme's disease and some of the immune function, autoimmune disease uh, diseases. So, um, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's super easy to do now. I mean, there's gluten-free options everywhere, but uh, yeah, I think for athletes that are having gut issues in general, maybe when they're racing or just generally out and about, if they're having to stop stop in the bushes uh, frequently as I do, um, they might just want to try cutting out a few bits and pieces like potentially gluten or dairy and, and seeing how their body reacts to that. See, celiac disease is, um, and, and for folks that have celiac, um, you know, I, I feel for them. But it's it's like a pet peeve of mine because um, when you're living in when I was living in Los Angeles, there'd be a table of ten people. One time, there's a table of ten people, and seven of the ten ten say they were gluten free because they had celiac. And when you look at the data, I think it was one out of 133 have it. And you know, doing the math out, and maybe we have to get Simon back um, with the, the PhD math. But there was like a one out of four billion chance or something that 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 was actually possible. It was more like Hey, they just wanted to be particular about you know what they like to eat, which there's no nothing wrong with that. Um, but I, I have noticed that people do claim, "Oh, I have celiac," and I'm like, I don't think you've ever been diagnosed. Well, with that. Here, here, here's the deal on that: is that it's a spectrum, right? So your level of intolerance to gluten is is is, is on a spectrum. So at one end of the spectrum, you have celiac; at the other end, you have no reaction at all. And unfortunately, it's not just about hey, can I feel a reaction? I.e. I eat some kind of gluten and automatically feel sick. It's actually what the the, the, the gluten what what um, goes on in the gut with gluten and how it can impact your system. And there's a lot more science out now to show that the impact it, that gluten can have on your system from an inflammatory standpoint. And ultimately, with all of these gut things, it's about reducing inflammation. So when someone is sat there and they say, I'm celiac, it's more, sometimes I'll even say that because if you don't say that, they don't take you seriously. And so before you know it, you've got a server that's um, you know, not really giving a shit and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's gluten-free. And you find out that it totally isn't. And there's flour in one of the sauces. And for someone like me who is, I'm not celiac, but I'm more sensitive, I could well be on the toilet all morning the next morning because of that. So, you know, on one side, yes, it's become a fad, but it's not necessarily a bad fad <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I'm pretty passionate about it because I get fucking the shit kicked out of me all the time by people commenting on this. And, and the more you get into the science of food and the impact of gut health on the rest of the body's systems, I mean, you'd be shocked 
at what we're now finding and what the current science is showing us. So um, I think it's, you know, I think people ultimately are actually quite lazy because to have a healthy diet is, is remarkably challenging in, in this day and age. There, um, it, it, you just reminded me of a great video that you did, oh gosh, three or four years ago yeah. with um, 10 things that tr- the uh, things that triathletes don't say. Is that, is that what yeah, that one? Totally. <laughs> and yeah, so, that was fun. We're, we're going to make sure we put a link uh, of that on there. Uh, it was very well viewed and it was, it was super fun and it gives a sense, I think of who you are. Um, this, this um, from a coaching point of view, I, I will definitely say this. If, if I was looking uh, for a, a coach, um, you know, Leslie Patterson would be that coach. And, and I've called you when I'm racing and I have a, an issue and boy, what, how do I get out of that? So you're, you're actually the only triathlon coach. We have a lot of training plans, free training plans, and we have a, the sprint program, which is uh, yeah, a mentor driven plan with training plans for beginners. But from a coaching point of view, you're the only triathlon coach that, that we actually have on the California triathlon.org uh, yeah. website. Um, and we, Simon and I may have to figure out how to upgrade that a little bit this year, but, um, definitely well-trusted this, this, um, this episode is going to go on, um, is going to launch on Valentine's day, February 14th. I'm I'm pretty sure that, um, that's on your radar. So I, I wanted the chance with, you know, nine days to go to maybe any, any ideas on the plans for Valentine's day, Simon, or what are you thinking? Well, you know, the perfect Valentine Day, because it's about your partner on Valentine's Day. So obviously it has to start with some training, which is like my worst Valentine's Day ever. Uh, no, but so we'll we'll probably have a bike ride or a, a run or something. And then one of our big uh, um, pastimes that we love is going to the movies. So we'll probably see a movie, go out to dinner, some, you know, just have some nice relaxing time. But if the training can all be done by 9.30 in the morning, that's a win for me as a husband. <laughs> Leslie, I, I have a question. If, if Simon was to get you a piece of jewelry and there was an option to, say, hawk it for, I don't know, a new frame or some carbon fiber wheels, what, what do you pick? Oh, man, I tell you, it would probably be chocolate. No. <laughs> um, I tell you, I, if, if he was going to be a wonderful ho- husband, he would get me a very special ring, and that ring would be the uh, the, the new – it's Halo? No, it's oh, Aura. Uh, aura. Yeah, aura. The new Aura yeah. ring. That, that would be a cool cool piece of jewellery. Wait, what, what is it? What is that? Tell, tell me what this uh, is. You spell it O-U-R-A, uh, the Aura ring. We have no financial investment in this. I'm just saying it because it's a really great piece. So it's a ring that you wear 24-7, but it's a heart rate monitor and movement monitor, just like you have in a Garmin. So and it can, you know, wirelessly uploads to your phone. It measures your sleep and your activity habits and your heart rate variability. It's pretty cool if you're, if you're into that kind of stuff. Oh, it's like a like a also a, a step counter that it could be used as yeah. like a step counter that yeah, you yeah, use for like that. Yeah, exactly. Accelerometer on it, so that's yeah. kind of cool. But you know, it's funny because I think you know we we definitely deal with a lot of athletes that have issues with their partners in terms of you know. Sai laughs about the whole triathlon widow, but I tell you what, man, it's it's such a a prevalent issue in our sport that that relationships. It undergo a lot of stress because their partner is in the sport. 
uh, you know, and it takes a lot of time and time away from family life and adds, can add a lot of stress. So, you know, one of the things we have to deal with as coaches is really, you know, um, uh, helping our athletes through that and giving them strategies to, to, to deal with it. You know, and Valentine's may well be that time where it's like, you know what, I'm going to not train on Valentine's and I'm going to treat my partner who's pissed off enough as it is that I head out for five hours on a Saturday for a bike or, or whatnot. Yeah, we, uh, we've referred to it as SAUs. Uh, do you use SAU spousal approval units? <laughs> That's funny. And, and so you have to, you know, in the off season, you have to earn your SAUs. So for instance, if you want to do, you know, a short course, you know, maybe that's, uh, cleaning out the garage. Um, if you want to go a little longer, that might be painting the house. I mean, it just kind of depends. Yeah, you're totally right, man. There's got to be some give and take. And I think, you know, as well, encouraging your, your other half, if they're not into sport, then what passions do they have or hobbies do they have where they can sort of really enjoy and get into and trying to encourage them to have something for themselves as well. And because I think a lot of partners get miffed if they feel like, you know, they're not the special one anymore they're not getting time or you know and, and a lot of that is mitigated if they have their own passions too so you're both off doing some really fun things and then you come together and you share what it is that you've done no that's that is uh that is a very good point we uh we we cover that all the time because you, you get athletes um we just did an article on that a couple of days ago where you get athletes who sort of take it to the extreme and uh, they get burned out. Their spouse gets burned out. Their significant other gets burned out. And um, for, for what? Um, no, no good thing. Um, one last thing that I have um, on my list. And by the way, um, I want to mention that Colette Wheeler uh, for asking that question. You're going to get a copy of the, the Brave Athlete sent to you uh, this week. So you'll Yay. be able to uh, start enjoying that if you don't have it already. Um, so you had mentioned earlier your involvement in the entertainment industry, right. and I heard a rumor that you own the script or are doing something with um, All Quiet on the Western Front. Is that is that possible? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's still going. It's been going for many years, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, we got the rights to to the novel some years ago and adapted it into a new screenplay. And we've been trying to get this flipping film off the ground for many, many a year now. But uh, we're actually moving in some good circles now. We have a, a new producer on board and a lot of potential there with, uh, you know, some interest from, from different directors. And we're super hopeful. But that, you know, when you asked about 2018 um, and what we're doing this year, that is one of our goals is to really uh, write some more screenplays together and really try and get some projects off the ground and you know jump in with two feet into into the world of film a lot more and and so do you do you envision that we're going to be seeing something i mean the you know as as i think you and i both know the the entertainment business can be cruel and mean do, do you do you think that um, that could be coming in, you know, 2019, 2020 or yeah, I think you know, 2020, yeah, I think for sure. We would love to think that we could have something up, uh, uh, you know, out there and, and yeah, 2019, 2020, that would be awesome. We're working on a new project at the moment with an Irish film director, which is pretty cool. So we're writing a screenplay for that and um 
yeah, we're, that, that has some potential to, to get off the ground maybe a bit quicker too. So we'll see, you know, you've got to diversify just like in, in, in any sort of entrepreneurial business, you've got to continually be sowing the seeds. So, you know, me, Tom, I'm always, I'm, I'm sowing flipping seeds every day. I tell you. You're, you're, you're a hustler. Um, before <laughs> I let you go, um, I, I've been spending a lot more time on the trainers uh, Saturday morning watching um, uh, English, English Premier League. Oh, you have? Yeah. Jiminy Crickets. Well, that's uh, most unfortunate for you. <laughs> and I, 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 I watch it and I'm, I, I, I wanted to know, I was like, well, is this something that uh, do, do Scots get into uh, English Premier League? Are you guys into the, into the footy scene? No, you know, I mean, to be honest, all Scottish people are in a, in a football, soccer, well, we call it football. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they'll all watch the English Premier League, but, of course, Sai, Sai's pretty into it. He, uh, he follows his, his, his team, Tottenham. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big uh, fan of the English Premier League, not the Premier League. Come on, we'll get that pronunciation right. But the, the, Scot, you know, the Scots have their own leagues, um, and there's been some push to try and get some of the top-tier teams in that to join the English Premier League. They haven't been successful in doing that. But, but yeah, it's, it's great to watch, watching overpaid prancers fall down for money. It's quite fun. And they have, um, they have, they have these things called transfer fees. Now, this is pretty unusual um, for most of the sports I follow, but we're talking in some cases fifty, hundred million dollars for the right to uh, take somebody's contract on from one team to the to the next. And this is done all the time, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're commodities; they're traded like cattle. Uh, so players are sold and bought uh, with a dollar or pound, you know, head on their uh, um, amount uh, on their head, and yeah, some some of the top uh, players are going for over a hundred million pounds, which is uh, you know quite uh, you know silly money, really. Yeah, well, I like I said, I I, I love using uh, the having the podcast and being able to, to ask questions and and getting a little bit of uh, get a little bit of knowledge uh, my way. Well. I want to say this. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. In early 2011, you were kind enough to come to the Rose Bowl uh, in Los Angeles and do the Braveheart uh, Boot Camp. And you've done that every year um, since 2011. And we're certainly going to have you back in 2018 if, if your schedule permits. We need to sort that out, man. People need to get themselves ready for the torture that uh, will we'll bestow them. And, and we really appreciate it. And um, we're going to make sure that uh, we send out with this certainly a note to our now um, 4,300 members um, around the country. And um, so, you know, we couldn't do it without, without you. And uh, we're going to send two of the 23-ounce uh, California triathlon soup mugs. It's 23 ounces, my friend. So that excellent. That can, that can be soup. It can be English tea. You know, what, whatever you could you could put haggis in there if you'd like. Gin, yeah, gin, but but, but whiskey. Fill that puppy up. You know all about it. 20, 23 ounces of whiskey. Oh my! Um, but we just wanted to. We really wanted to say thank you, um, Leslie. Thank you, Simon. Uh, right. We wish you best. And if um, if there's anything that we can do, uh, please let us know. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom.